And um, a fishing vessel happens to be going past where he is in the water. He's clinging to a piece of wood. He's barely able to hang on, and they get to him just in time. They don't know he's out there. It's dark. It's stormy. And they pull him into the boat, and they realize this guy is just barely alive. And so they take him uh, to shore, and they find some medical help for him, but he's a stranger. No one knows where he's from. No one knows who he is. So there's this guy that's barely alive. There's this big question mark. Who is this young man? And so he finally, after a number of weeks, he has a bad head injury. He comes out of the coma that he's in. And he discovers that his past is nothing but a dark hole of amnesia. He has no idea who he is. And so there's this book that's written called The Born Identity. And that that book kind of chronicles this man's life of how he tries to figure out who am I? Who am I? And so he begins to discover some things that concern him about himself, he, and he's trying to piece together uh, just that question, the answer to that question, who am I? Can you imagine for a moment being in that position if you wake up tomorrow in a strange place surrounded by strangers and you have no understanding of who you are, but, but we both know, we all know that there would be a burning desire in us to discover that answer, who am I? Because our identity is something that all of us need to come to grips with. And so we are beginning a series this morning, over the next few weeks, on this topic of identity. Who are we? Who am I? What makes you, you? So where do we find answers for that? Well, we can look in a number of different places. Sometimes um, if someone asks us about ourselves, we might begin with our personality. We might begin to describe, uh, you know, that, the answer to that question this way. Well, I'm funny, or I'm serious, or I'm thoughtful, or I'm kind, or I'm assertive, or I'm shy, I'm driven, I'm visionary, I'm laid back. You may begin to describe your personality in order to start to get at that, the answer to that question, who am I? And so there's one category that perhaps we begin to come to. Another thing we might uh, talk about is our preferences. Well, I like coffee instead of tea. Summer instead of winter. I like Florida instead of Alaska. Uh, You can, you know, perhaps say I like the, you know, instead of the Leafs, I like the Senators. Or you may begin to just talk about your preferences, right? Um, Real Madrid instead of Barcelona. Are those two teams? Okay. (laughs) That was for Pastor Yeshua. He's a real soccer guy. (laughs) But you may start to say, you know, if I'm going to really answer that question of who am I, I may start to talk about my preferences. You may also talk about your talents and your gifts. You may say, well, I'm creative or I'm imaginative or I'm mechanically inclined. I have an ability to fix things or I'm a gifted musician or I'm a leader or I'm good with my words. I can articulate things well. I can, you know, I can argue a point and you may begin to try to get at that the answer to that question by saying, well, here's my talents and my gifts. Or we could go on and on, but perhaps the final um, category that we might touch on is we might just talk about what we do. We might talk about our career. And so later in life, when we begin to embark on a career, we sometimes define ourselves by what we do. And so you may say, well, um, I'm a business owner, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a student, or I'm a pastor, I'm a parent, I'm a, I'm a grandparent. And, and these different categories help us to get at, to some degree, help us to get at to the, the question if someone asks you, who are you? 
Or if you ask yourself, who am I? These are some things that help us to begin to paint a picture to some extent of who we are. But if we're going to look at this topic of identity and look at it a little bit deeper, we have to look a little bit deeper than what I do or what I'm good at or what my preferences are or what my personality is. And when we dig down deep enough, I think we come to a question that we want to explore a bit this morning. And the question is this, what is the source of my self-worth? What is the source of your self-worth? Because as we begin to get at that, the answer to that question, we begin to get to a deeper place of what's going on inside of us. When we ask that question, who am I? The question also needs to be asked, what is the source of my self-worth? And that gets a little bit deeper than what I do, or you know, what I do nine to five, or what my preferences are. It, it, it really taps into something that's deeper. And so as we begin to explore that question, we're going to look at it in Scripture in just a moment. But let me ask you that question. What is the source of your self-worth? Because in some way, that defines the place out of which you will live. Let me give you some examples. If the source of my self-worth is what others think of me, then I will be a people pleaser. That will begin to define and shape my decisions. I will do what you think I should do because I want you to be happy. I will make the decisions that I think you would approve of because I want you to like me. And if our source of self-worth comes exclusively from what people think of me, then that's how I will begin to live my life. I will put a tremendous amount of effort into trying to figure out what is it that will please people around me, those people that are closest to me, and I'm going to do that because I don't want to stir the waters. I don't want them to think less of me. And if you have tied your sense of self-worth to what others think of you, then this is how we begin to live out of that place. Perhaps you've tied your source of self-worth to affluence. And if that's where you, maybe consciously or unconsciously, if that's where you derive a sense of self-worth, then you will spend a lot of energy trying to attain a level of affluence that, that that in your mind gives you that certain place of value, where now that I have this level of affluence, then then I begin to feel like I'm somebody now. I, I feel a sense of worth. And so you're going to spend a great deal of energy accumulating uh, the right house and the right car. You're going to pay a lot of attention to those types of things. And, and we can enjoy those things. If you have a large home, enjoy it. But if that is what our sense of self-worth is tied to, then if we don't have those things, our sense of self-worth crashes to the ground. And if those things are taken away, we, we begin to feel like we aren't worth very much. And so perhaps it's affluence. If this is, your, if this is where you find self-worth, you begin to judge others in that way as well. And those that have tremendous affluence and wealth, you begin to assign a great deal of value to them. And those that don't have very much, perhaps it's hard for you to see value in them because because you've tied somehow this sense of affluence to self-worth. It's part of what makes up your identity. Perhaps your source of self-worth is tied to success. And however that word looks to you, we all define it perhaps a little bit differently. But if that is where you find value, if that's the bedrock place out of which you will begin to feel good about yourself, 
then you will pursue success at the cost of your family, at the cost of relationships, because that is where you feel that you find a sense of value in your life, and you will, you will begin to put a tremendous uh, amount of um, energy toward climbing the ladder, so to speak, to that place where you finally feel as though I am a success now, and I can begin to feel good about myself because I've done I've accomplished this or that. And so this question, what is the source of my self-worth, is an important one. What have you tied your sense of value to? I want you to imagine for a moment that God is not in the picture for you. Imagine for a moment that God is not part of your life, that you have no interest in God, and, and he, he's not even a thought in your mind. And so... You will have tied your sense of self-worth to, to one of these things or other things that you could name because every one of us needs to find a place where we feel like we are worthwhile, where we feel as though there's a sense of significance. And without God in the picture, there's only a number of other things that you can begin to feel like if I can achieve that or if I can have that or, or maybe it's, it's that relationship. If I can have that relationship, I will feel good about myself or if I can have the perfect family, then others will think well of me and I will begin to feel good about myself. Whatever it might be, if God is not in the picture, there's only a limited number of things that we can begin to tie our sense of value to. And this morning, I want to just encourage you that our, our view of ourselves, really that, that sense of self-worth is tied into how God views you. And I'm so thankful that God is in the picture and our sense of self-worth must begin by looking at what God says of you and how God views you. That's the bedrock of where we need to come to in finding that sense of significance and self-worth in our lives. And so as a Christian, the question perhaps is not, who am I so much as it is this, whose am I? Whose am I? And that's the reality of what we can begin to explore in our lives because we believe that we are not an accident. We believe that there's a God that has created us, that God has created you with a purpose. And you hold tremendous value in his eyes. It's not about what everyone else says about me, but it's about answering that question, whose am I? Whose am I? And in that place, beginning to live out of that confidence in the fact that we are loved and known and we are valued by the one that created us. Psalm 139, David begins to describe the reality of God's work in us. And he begins to unpack for us a little bit this idea that, that our value comes from understanding God's view of us. I want to read, beginning at verse 1 for you. You can follow along or just listen. O Lord, David says, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. And David begins to just unpack for us this thought that we are known by God. In fact, we are so known that he understands and he knows the thoughts of our minds. Before words are even given expression, he knows the thoughts 
that we are thinking. And for, sometimes that's a daunting thought because, you know, we can hide our true selves from others. We can get away with attitudes and with actions and fool people around us. But when it comes to God, David is reminding us that he knows you intimately. Nothing is hidden from him. Your deepest, deepest, darkest thought is not a secret to God. That moment when you got away with something that was hurtful or harmful and you pulled the wool over someone else's eyes, God saw that. It wasn't a mystery to him. Those hidden places of of judgmental attitudes that we struggle with sometimes, God sees those things. And yet, he doesn't walk away from us. And that is the miracle of God's love and God's grace. And David is reminding us, God knows us intimately. Nothing, nothing is hidden from his sight. Nothing. And yet, he still loves me. And yet, he still calls me to himself. He goes on. And he says this, you hem me in, God, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He says, I can hardly even understand, God, that your hand is on my life, that you're interested enough in me to actually begin to do a work in me. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, even in that place where I may try to run from God, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you, God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. God sees us in every moment of our lives. And then in verse 13, there's such a a familiar passage to us, and I want to read it in the, the New Living Translation. And this is where he just reminds us again uh, that, that God actually created you, that he created you. He says this, God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment of my life was laid out before a single day had passed. What a powerful reminder to us this morning that if we are to answer that question, what is the source of my self-worth, that we look to God, that is our starting point. That God knows us and loves us. He created us and he has a purpose and a plan. Every day of your life is mapped out ahead of you. We don't see it, but God does. And so we, ha- we, we have this powerful reminder this morning that, that there is this view of ourselves that we need to come back to. And so, no, I am not an accident. You are not an accident. I'm not a result of a series of random events in the midst of a vast universe. No, that's not who I am. 
Rather, I have been created with purpose, and I have purpose. God has designed me for purpose. He's designed me to walk out some purposes that he has in mind for my life. I am loved by God. The one who has created me and who has given me life loves me deeply in spite of the things that I can hide from everyone else. But I can't hide them from God, and yet he still loves me. Folks, if we are to answer that question and to come to a place where we're grounded in the love of God, we need to come into agreement with what God says about us. This is the foundation of our identity. And sometimes the words that others have spoken over us are the words that ring louder in our ears than the words that God wants to speak over us. And we know that there there have been times where we've been wounded by words, and sometimes those words keep replaying again and again and again in our minds. And perhaps on this Thanksgiving Sunday morning, God wants to set you free from some of those messages that you cannot seem to delete. And God wants to remind you that your sense of self-worth is grounded in his love for you. That's the bedrock of who you are. And no matter what other words have been spoken over you that have damaged and wounded you, my prayer this morning is that God would begin to cause those to diminish and that we would begin to hear what God speaks over our lives today. That we are loved and we are valued. We need to come into agreement with what God says about us. I think of Jesus. How did Jesus view himself? What was the identity out of which he was living? We find this in Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. There's this moment where God affirms how he sees Jesus. And I'll read it for you. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, landing on him. And then he heard a voice, a voice from heaven that said, This is my Son, whom I love, with him. I am well pleased. Jesus understood that he came to do the will of the Father and he simply walked out of that place of knowing that he was loved by God. I want to just give you a couple of thoughts around the life of Jesus. And just one of them is this, that because Jesus' source of self-worth was the love of the Father, he fulfilled his purpose. Because Jesus was simply walking out his purpose, knowing that the Father loved him, he wasn't looking for public acclaim, he wasn't looking for any of the other trappings that perhaps we assign worth to, but he came to do the will of the Father, and he came humbly. He was willing to lay aside his, his divine uh, um, place in heaven and come and, and, and be a babe amongst us and walk out his purpose for us. And you know why he was able to lay some of those things aside? It's because he knew that he was loved by the Father. He wasn't placing his sense of self-worth in anything else except for God's love for him. And so because he fulfilled his purpose, we can know the love of the Father and fulfill our purpose. I'm so thankful for that this morning. I'm so thankful that Jesus chose to lay aside his kingly position and to come and to humbly give his life for you and I. He fulfilled his purpose so that we could know the love of the Father. And I'm so thankful for that this morning, that Jesus was willing to walk out the purposes of God for him. Philippians chapter 2 
verses 5 to 10. Just want to read a couple of more passages for you and just listen to what Scripture reveals to us about the attitude of Jesus. Philippians 2 verses 5 says, Your attitude, speaking of us, our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took on the very nature of a servant. He was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, Jesus simply based his identity, his sense of self-worth on what the Father thought of him and spoke over him. And because of that, he was able to let go of those things that so often we grasp for. You know, Scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. And so I believe that Jesus was was tempted to base his sense of self-worth on what people thought of him. He never sinned. He didn't succumb to those temptations. But he would have been tempted in ways that we are. He perhaps was tempted at different times to base his sense of self-worth on on affluence and on a position and and on um, perhaps on having uh, the things of this world. In fact, one of the temptations that Satan tempted him with was to use his power uh, to bring glory to himself. Jesus was tempted in the same ways that you and I are. And often we are tempted to begin to connect our sense of self-worth to things other than the love of God for us. And so Jesus was able to overcome those temptations and just walk out, humbly walk out the, the path that God had for him. One more passage of scripture as we come to a close this morning. Isaiah 53, 1 to 7. Let me read this for you. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a prophetic 800 years before Jesus came. This is speaking of Jesus. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And one of the things that strikes me as I read that description of Jesus is that none of the usual indicators that often we use to assign worth to someone or to ourselves, none of those were, were part of Jesus' life. Physical attractiveness, public acclaim, position of power, a successful struggle-free life, affluence and wealth, a prominent or a grand funeral, 
You know, Jesus, Jesus was placed in a tomb. There was no crowd that gathered to talk about the amazing person that he was. He was, he was a lonely, desolate moment. No one was there. And so none of those things that we tend to begin to use as indicators of worth, Jesus didn't have any of those. And he didn't need those because he knew that he was living out the Father's purpose for him and he was grounded in the love of the Father. And what an amazing reminder to us this morning that when we truly understand who we are, when we truly are grounded in the love of God for us, it's then and only then that we can begin to lay aside some of the things that we have been grasping after for so long to try to find a sense of identity, to try to find worth in the, lie, in the eyes of those around us. We can begin to just lay those things down and say, God, I know that I am loved by you. And then it's out of a place of fullness that we can begin to live our lives and to bless others. Let me just give you one practical example as we close. I read about, a, you know, how does this kind of really play out in our lives, this idea of identity and self-worth. I read a story of a, of a woman who found herself in a situation, you've been there, I've been there. When she walked into a room, there were some acquaintances that she knew, but she didn't know people very well. And, and there were clusters of people talking in that room. And so she kind of came in and she didn't come in with anyone. She was alone. And she kind of just was waiting for, for one of those clusters of people to acknowledge her and welcome her into the conversation, but it never happened. And she just felt this awkward loneliness. Have you ever been in the middle of a group of people and you felt so alone? And as she looked around, she began to think to herself, you know, they, they've got it all together. You know, why can't I be, have that kind of personality? Why, why are people not gravitating to me? What is it that, that I can't seem to break into this circle of conversation right now? There must be something wrong with me. Have you been there? We all have. And she left that room beginning to mull over this thought. You know, why did I begin to feel so negative about myself in that moment? And she actually walked away feeling as though the people in that room had let her down, that they hadn't noticed her. They hadn't noticed her loneliness. They hadn't noticed her desire to just be part of what was happening. She began to reflect on this. And she began to realize that sometimes in our own need and in our own emptiness, we begin to place expectations on everyone around us to fulfill us. And the reality is, if that is how we think, then we are always going to be disappointed. And yes, we can enjoy relationship. Yes, we can enjoy richness. But, but if we don't have this idea settled in our own hearts that my identity and my sense of self-worth is grounded not in what others can do for me, but it's grounded in the love of God for me, then we will continue to search and this is what she began to realize about herself. You know, sometimes we have unrealistic expectations of how others are going to fulfill us and meet our needs. And they just can't do it the way that we have in our mind, the way that we, we've imagined. You know, this is so applicable in marriages where sometimes we feel as though, you know, that person, they will make me happy. And if they're not making me happy, there's something wrong. And perhaps there's a lack in our own life that we have not allowed God to fill so that we begin to live out of a different place. You know, have you ever stood at a, at a Hallmark, um, a wall of cards, 
And have you ever begun to look for a, an anniversary card? Probably many of you have. And you've read things like this. You know, you are everything to me. You fulfill me. You're my world. You know, when I read those, I cringe, literally. I think, oh. You know, I, I get it that they're hired to write romantic types of cards. But really, there's a message there that is not true. If your wife or your husband is everything to you, what happens when they're not there? Your world falls apart because you've made them everything to you. And while we are called to enjoy relationship, don't get me wrong, we are called to enjoy relationship, but sometimes we put expectations on those that are closest to us, and when they don't live up to those expectations, we, we begin to think that they've let us down. Your husband or your wife is not your world. I hope they're not. I hope that you're grounded in the love of God so that you can love each other unselfishly. I hope that your kids are not everything to you. I hope they're not your world. We are called to love them, and you can fill in the blank. What is it that you've put there? Oh, you're my world. No, <laughs> no, you're not. But I can love you more fully as I become grounded in the love of God for me. And so my sense of self-worth and my identity is grounded in the love of the Father. And as I come to that place, I am free to love others more deeply. Remember that lady that I talked about? She writes this. Her name is Lisa. She said, being full of God's love settles, empowers, and brings out the best of who we are. His love quiets us deep within so that we can live from a full place, not from an empty desperation. And when we live from that abundant place that we are loved, we won't find ourselves begging others for scraps of love. We'll be ready to walk into a room and share the love that we already know is ours. You know, th this, this conversation matters, it really does, because in part, if we never get this settled in our hearts, we live, instead of a place of overflow, we live out of a place of always needing to draw from others. And again, we do need each other at times. So I'm talking about, I'm talking about that, that question, what have you attached your sense of self-worth to? What is that for you? Is it the love of the Father? Or have you been looking at other places? In church, as we begin to talk about this idea of identity, I believe we have to start there, that we are loved by the Father. And my prayer this morning is that we would have a fresh revelation of that, that this morning as you go from this place, that God would just begin to do a deep work in you and in me, that we would begin to live out of that place of being loved deeply, and that he would begin to maybe reveal places in our lives where we've begun to assign worth out of other things. It'll bring us back to that foundation of his love for us. I want us to just close by, by listening to this song, and it's, it's a song about identity. And it's a song that says we're no longer slaves. It's a familiar one to you. But this is a little bit unique, and this is being sung in a prison. And it's a powerful moment where you begin to realize that these, these young men who are listening to the song, who are singing it, they may be in a prison in a physical sense that they found freedom within. And sometimes we walk around and we're in a prison. We're in a prison of what, of what everyone thinks of us. 
We're in a prison of trying to grasp for significance in places other than God's love for us. And my prayer this morning is that as we close, that God will just do that work in us in a fresh way today. That our identity and our sense of self-worth is rooted in God's love for us. Let's just watch this and we're going to pray and we'll let you get to your turkey. Prison of trying to find value in other places other than your love for us. God, would you bring us back to that truth? Would you help us to begin to live out of a place of freedom and joy in how you see us and how you've designed us in your purpose for our lives? And God, out of that place of fullness, I pray that we would begin to be a blessing to others in new ways. So Lord, we thank you for freedom this morning that you've called us from our mother's womb that you designed us, you know us. And the days of our lives are laid out in your book. You have a plan for us. Help us to walk that out. Help us to fulfill the things that you have for us, God. Not the things that others say we should do. Or, but God, help us to hear your voice clearly on this Thanksgiving weekend. That you would just help us to be settled in your plan for our lives. Settled in your love for us. And then begin to enjoy relationship out of that place of being loved. Begin to walk out your plans for us in a fresh new way. So we are so grateful today, Jesus, that you have set us free and that you've brought us into relationship with the Father. And as we go today, I pray that you'd bless our times with family and with friends around a meal. May there be a special sense of your presence. I pray that there would be reconciliation in relationships that are broken, that there would be a mending where there needs to be mending. And that by your spirit, you would do your work in us this weekend and in the week ahead. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I think we're just going to...